If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 14, and we'll be in verses 1 through 11 this morning, and as you're turning there, um, my goodness, y'all, the Lord is good, yeah? I'm thankful, thankful this morning to be ministered to by the Lord in so many different ways come to this time and just feel like we could almost pack it up and go on home because I've been so deeply blessed. Let's open up to Mark chapter 14 and let's look at Mark chapter 14, 1 through, 1 through 11. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, we just say thank you this morning. Lord, we feel your goodness. We recognize your presence. And we just say thank you. Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you for these children who pray for us, who lead us through your word. Thank you for these songs that rise up to you, Lord. Thank you for the joy of across this sanctuary. Words of acclaim and adoration from our hearts to you. We're giving you our best, Lord. As we look at these passages this morning, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and stirred to receive. Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, be pleasing to you? You are our rock, and you are our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's look at Mark chapter 14, 1 through 11. It was two days now before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than a... 300 denarii and given to the poor and they scolded her but Jesus said leave her alone why do you trouble her she has done a beautiful thing for me and for you will always have the poor with you and whenever you want you can do good for them but you will not always have me she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial and truly I, I say to you wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world what she has been done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's take just a moment. You'll see on your outline four places that we want to learn from this morning. The first is Simon the leper. The first we want to learn from is Simon the leper. And it seems like almost a throwaway statement in the text. It's two days before Passover and the, the chief priests and the scribes are trying to kill Jesus. They're looking by 
stealthy ways that they may be able to get into Jesus and be able to kill him. But they they determined not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And here in verse 3, it says, while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now, this seems just kind of like a, a quick description of what was happening. It's just Simon the leper, they're eating at his house. But in that quick description, I want us to look for just a moment because this is a big deal. It's a gospel truth that you see right in the pages. If Simon the leper was still indeed a leper, they're not eating at his house. If Simon the leper is still Simon the leper and that he is still a leper, they're not coming to Simon the leper's house to eat. If Simon the leper is still a leper, Simon the leper is still out by the tombs scraping his open wounds, yelling, unclean, unclean, so the people could flee away from Simon the leper. But Simon the leper isn't quite Simon the leper. Simon the leper is Simon the leper in the sense of Simon was the leper. And most historians and commentators would believe that Simon the leper has been healed by Jesus. And because Simon the leper was healed by Jesus, he has invited others into his home and he is throwing a party for Jesus. And what has me just floored this morning is all that we've sung about and talked about. This this quick statement, Simon the leper, here is throwing a party in his home. This man who would not have, have had a house, would not have community, would not have people around him, would not have anything but be on the outskirts of town in a tomb, scraping his open wounds, yelling, unclean, unclean. Here he is with people gathered around him, welcoming Jesus into his home. Isn't that pretty remarkable? Let me ask a question. Where would Simon the leper be without Jesus? Where would Simon the leper be today in this story without Jesus? Better yet, where would you be today without Jesus? Let that question not just be a throwaway in your heart. Write that down because I want you to ponder it, not just now, but tonight, this afternoon as you're sitting in your lazy boy, enjoying a good afternoon nap, where would you be without Jesus? It's a staggering question because we look at Simon the leper. Simon the leper, all that would be happening here in the story would not happen if it were not for Jesus coming in, touching him, healing him. All this that Simon the leper, the household, the community, Jesus in his home, all of these things would be non-existent if Jesus had not invaded his story and healed him from his leprosy. So where would Simon the leper be without Jesus? Last night, I pondered this question for quite a while as I sat preparing for this sermon. Mark, where would you be without Jesus? Honestly, I don't know. It's a hard question. Where would I be without Jesus? Because I look out and I see my My parents love the Lord. My grandparents on both sides love the Lord. My aunts and uncles all love the Lord. The Lord is so deeply ingrained in who we are. We're all ingrained in Jesus' followers. It's hard to disconnect all of that from my upbringing. What would my parents have been like without Jesus? What would my grandparents have been like without Jesus? What if my grandfather had never felt the call to ministry in his uh, late adulthood and gone? What would my life be if Jesus had not invaded all those areas of our family's life? But what would my life be without Jesus? All I know to tell you 
is those moments in my life where I have strayed off the pathway, where I have chased toward other areas and avenues of peace in my life. And those moments that God didn't turn his back on me, but maybe I turned my back on the Lord, and I felt those moments of discontentment, of lostness in my soul. I can begin to ponder what it would have been like to not know Jesus. My life verse is Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, without Jesus, I'm just Mark the sinner. Just Mark the sinner who doesn't have peace that surpasses all understanding. Just Mark the sinner who doesn't have contentment in Jesus. Just Mark the sinner who's trying to figure it out, find his own way, earn happiness somehow, some way. I'm just Mark the sinner without the salvation part of the story. And so as you go here today and as you leave, I want that question to just ring deeply into your souls. As you look at Simon the leper and you ask, what would Simon's life have been like without Jesus? Ask the question in your soul, what would your life be like without Jesus? Would my profession just change? Would I be able to sleep in a little later on Sunday mornings? What would our life be like without Jesus? See, I wouldn't just have a different profession. I would be lost and dead in my sins without Jesus. So let's look at Simon the leper, but let's continue on for just a moment because there's a lot here to unpack, and I've got a very short amount of time, so we're going to buckle up, friends. We're, we're going through this, all right? Let's do it. So verse 4, and you see that there are some who said to themselves indignantly that this woman would pour costly nard over Jesus' head. And they said, why was this ointment wasted? Number two, let's learn from the indignant disciples. You see in John chapter 12 that Judas Iscariot leads the charge of indignancy against this woman. The Bible even says this word, they were indignant, that they were, they were flaring their nostrils. I mean, that's the, the sense of the Greek. H- have you ever been that mad before that your nostrils flare? Kids, have you ever seen your parents' nostril flare? If you have, flee, right? That's not a good place to be when your parents' nostrils flee, right? They were indignant to the point of their nostrils flaring out in anger at this woman. Think about that. The disciples who have seen all that Jesus has done, seen these incredible miracles. They've seen this incredible act of worship in this woman anointing Jesus' head, and their response is anger and disgust and indignancy to the point of their nostrils flaring in anger at this woman. Can you imagine looking at a worshiping woman and your response is indignancy, anger, frustration at this woman who's just worshiping Jesus. I think there's a lot more that'll go into it as we'll see over these next few, uh, next week as we look at Judas. But I want to see for a moment that you see in the text that their indignant nature came because they believed that this woman wasted the ointment. Get that for a moment. They believed that this woman wasted the ointment. At the end of the day, it's not so much that this woman wasted the ointment that, indignant, that made the disciples indignant. They actually, in a sense, saw that that was a waste, but they saw that Jesus was not valuable enough for the ointment. There is the waste of the ointment, but also the recognition that they didn't believe that Jesus was worthy of the ointment. 
I mean, that's an even bigger blow. It's not just that they wasted the ointment, but who they wasted it on, that he wasn't worthy of it, that he wasn't valuable enough, that it wasn't a worthwhile use of it. And we'll see as we look at Judas in the coming days how this will all fit together. So let's then move from Simon the leper to the indignant disciples and where we want to camp out for just a few moments. And that is number three, the woman worshiper. The woman worshiper. If we look at John chapter 12, we can deduce that this woman's name was Mary, but Mark leaves it off as just an unnamed woman. As he's reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There are some who said, why was this ointment wasted? They could have given it to the poor. It's 300 denarii, a year's wage. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For what you will always have the poor with you and whatever you want, you can do good for them. You will not always have, have with me. Have you, I will not always be with you. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. So why were the disciples indignant? Because she had wasted a year's wage. Most commentators would believe that this woman would not have had a year's wage so that this was likely an heirloom piece of family pottery and an heirloom perfume of nard. This is something that had been passed down and this was a precious, precious item. And it wasn't just that this woman took this little jar and began pouring a little bit on Jesus' head until she felt like it was enough. This woman took this alabaster jar and she broke it all over Jesus. It wasn't a sense that she could maybe put a little bit back in the jar when it was all over, take, take little pieces and kind of scrape it back into the jar. No, she went all in on this anointing of Jesus. She broke the jar. There was no going back. She broke the jar. All the oil is spilled out. She is going all in in this, this affection and worship of Jesus. This lady went all in. It's why I love the picture of baptism. At 11 o'clock, we're going to have three baptisms, and I know you're an 8.30 crowd, but I would encourage you maybe just to stick around for the first part of the 11 o'clock service. Just be reminded of what baptism means and looks like. When you were baptized, you remember you were you're buried with Christ in baptism, which means you went beneath the water, right, all the way under the water. There's not a part of you sticking out. All of you went under the water, recognizing that you were all in for Jesus, and he had washed all of your sins away. They cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. And what happened? But you're raised to walk in newness of life. This lady broke this alabaster jar. Perfume goes everywhere. And what did Jesus say in verse 8? She has done what she could. She's done what she's good. Now, this is not in the sense of like, hey, they did the best they could, right? As a young kid, my grandfather had us over to paint his outdoor storage shed and a bunch of like fourth, third, second graders out with big gallons of paint. It was an absolute nightmare. And when it was all said and done, my grandfather walked out and said, they did the best they could, right? It was horrible, a horrible paint job. Jesus is not saying she, she just did the best she could. No, this, this word from Jesus is she, she has done what she could. She, she utilized what she had. She did what she could. She recognized what she had and she deployed it out. 
I can open my heart to you. I can so often focus and zero in on all the things that I cannot do. I can tell the Lord, I I can't do that, I can't do that. Jesus, I cannot do this. Lord, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I'm gonna do that. And said this woman did what she could. Maybe you'd say, I can't preach to the thousands, but you can disciple too. I can't go overseas on mission, but I can walk next door to my neighbor. I can't go into the prisons, but I can pray for those who do. Well, I can't give the millions of dollars, but but I can be generous with how God has entrusted the resources to me. Now, I've shared this story on a multitude of occasions, and I apologize if you've heard it, but it it just illustrates so beautifully. A few months ago, I did the funeral for Ann Kilgore. Ann lived at Oak Grove in her final days, and I would go out and do a Bible study out at Oak Grove uh, every other week as an associate pastor here, and it was just one of the most delightful times. Ann Kilgore had the fastest power chair I've ever seen in my life. In fact, I heard rumors had it that they had a uh, speed limit sign up in the building because she would go uh, just incredibly fast down the hallway. In fact, it's the only time I've ever been honked at indoors uh, is when I was walking down the hall and Anne came behind me. I was, I was teaching one particular Tuesday on utilizing your gifts uh, to, to please the Lord, to utilize what God's done for you and bless you with. And, and was confined to that power chair and she couldn't get up and walk and she had numerous health challenges and at the end of the day she came up to me and said, Mark, I can't, I can't do a lot of what you talked about. I can't go on a mission trip. I can't even leave Oak Grove. I can't even get out of my power chair. But I can go to every door in this facility and knock on every door and ask, how can I pray for you? That's a woman that was not defined by what she could not do but what she could do. She didn't look and say, I can't go here. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. She said, Here's what I can do. And this is what Jesus is saying to this woman. She has done what she can. She's done what she's could. I can't think of a better expression that Jesus is not chastising her. He's commending her. They, They did the best that they could. They utilized the gifts that they'd been given. They utilized the resources they had entrusted to them. They did what they could. Let me ask you three quick questions. Like the woman, do we value Jesus above everything? Like the woman, do we value Jesus above everything? Number two, like the woman, do we give Jesus our best? And number three, like the woman, do we do what we can do? Do we do what God has entrusted to us? Do we do what we can do? We're not able to, in world hunger, we're not able to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, to every single tribe, tongue, and nation. But can we do what we can do? Can we reach our neighbor? Can we go on mission? Can we love and care for the people that God has entrusted to us? Can we do what we can do? I mean, if you look at Mark's gospel, you see the the richness of why we read in context, verse after verse, chapter after chapter. You've seen in Mark chapter 12, Jesus talk about the great commission and the great commandment. You've seen him say, render under Caesar that which is Caesar, but render to the Lord that which is the Lord's. You've seen the chief priests and the scribes on the other end try to kill Jesus. You've seen the widow give it all in the widow's might. Do you see the juxtaposition that Mark is trying to get across to us? You've got this widow 
giving her all in the precious two mites. You've got Mary giving it all through the ointment that she's anointing Jesus with. On the flip side, you've got Judas trying to betray Jesus and the chief priests and the scribes trying to kill him. Number four, you see at the very end of your outline, is simply Judas the betrayer. That's where we'll pick up next week as you... As you look at this story and you see Jesus, or Judas all the while, after all this is going on, is next week as we take the Lord's Supper together. We'll zero in on the Lord's Supper, but also Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to codify all of this into our hearts. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we come to this text recognizing that we have much to learn. Lord, I pray that that question would swell into our souls. Where would we be without Jesus? I know that I would be lost and dead in my sins and trespasses. So I pray that that question, the reality of Simon the leper fellowshipping as naturally as can be with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that has marked the sinner because of your grace you have taken me from the pit of hell and welcomed me in as an adopted son and daughter thank you that you've done each of that for you've done that for each of us who've called upon your name thank you lord out of response lord i want to be like this this woman who worshiped and gave it her all she did what she could I pray that that's our calling as well, that we would do precisely what it is that you've entrusted for us to do. Let us be mindful, let us be open-hearted, and let us be careful to walk out the doors of this sanctuary different than when we walked in. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.